This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Want to save 10% on your next DukeTigBrand.com order? Use the promo code BROADWATER19 at checkout. D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. If you've listened to the show before, you know how much I love DukeTig Brand. I use their Excel notebook, I use their waterproof notebook, and absolutely swear by their products. Go to duketigbrand.com right now, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com, and save 10% at checkout on your next order. From apparel to logos to coaching notebooks, DukeTig Brand has got you hooked up. DukeTigbrand.com, promo code BROADWATER19 at checkout. In season two, episode 28 of the On the Touchline podcast, I talked to Paul Camarada, the founder and the host of the Coaching Journey podcast. Paul is one of the many podcasts that I've listened to on a regular basis and uh, has a really great mind uh, when it comes to the game of football and game of soccer. So more on Paul in just a sec. This will be the final episode of season two. I'm going to take a little bit of a break and begin planning season three, which will be out sometime this fall. And I just want to say thank you for listening to the first two seasons of the On the Touchline podcast. Season two was as much fun as season one and maybe even a little bit more. Uh, The guest, the people, the backstories, the interesting players and coaches and people in our game that I've gotten connected to has truly been inspiring. And I absolutely love giving you a glimpse into their lives as the host of this show. So a sincere thanks from me to you for listening to this podcast and sharing it with friends and coaches and players in the coaching and soccer community. You can connect with me at any time on Twitter or Instagram highly active on both, and my handle is at SoccerCoachJB. So Paul Camerata has done a number of things throughout his coaching career. He's worked in the college game, he's worked for an MLS academy, and he's also worked as a high school coach. Paul earned his NSCAA, now United Soccer Coaches Premier Diploma, as well as their Director of Coaching and Goalkeeping Level 1 Diploma, along the way, and he is also a U.S. Soccer Federation e-license holder as well. I have listed in the show notes how you can connect with Paul and follow along with what he's doing at the coaching journey. I hope you enjoy episode 28 of season two of the On the Touchline podcast and my conversation with Paul Camerata. Well, Paul, thank you for joining the On the Touchline podcast. And um, as a as a fan of your work, um, it, it's always great to connect with uh, fellow podcasters and coaches and uh, people in our game that um, you know, or I just think are willing to put themselves out there and uh, have listening listened uh, to the coaching journey um, at different times in my coaching career, and uh, really just appreciate what you're doing. Uh, with uh, with your show, so it's good to good to have you on the show. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to be buttered up before uh, before we start. So I appreciate that. For uh, for folks that don't know your backstory, uh, and it's sort of the the origin story of how you've gotten to where you are um, in your coaching journey. Um, tell people a little bit about your background. Sure. So let's see. I was an awful player. Was never any good. Figured out pretty quickly that if I wanted to remain in the game, it would not be, uh, you know, lacing up my boots. So went to college, went to Fordham University back in 2009. Uh, the plan was to do law school, probably have a boring, nice income job, make my parents proud. And uh, yeah, go go through the motions. But then I had the opportunity while I was at Fordham to help start a club soccer team. For depending on the college you've gone to, club sports can be relatively high level. In some places, Fordham, we were lucky where we were starting something, but we had a very good talent pool. And that started my coaching journey relatively unexpectedly. I was a sophomore. I was coaching the team. I was awful. I was, I was demoted to assistant coach when I was a senior, maybe, because he brought in a an academy coach who's a friend of mine now from one of the local development academies. And I learned a lot and it was actually now that we're in the women's world cup, when we're recording this, it was watching Pia Sundhaga coach the U S women's national team. And the national anthem was going on and I was just watching it. And it's not some particular huge inspirational moment, but I was watching and I was saying, you know, what a level to be at, what a level to be coaching, what a moment to be in. I'd love to do that. And that kind of changed my mind. And all of a sudden it went from law school, maybe God forbid politics to, you know what, I want to coach. I want to do whatever I can. I want to find a way to become a coach. I graduated. I got a job at a local high school on Long Island. I was still a pretty horrible coach. I tried to slowly improve. Luckily, from there, I interviewed and got a job with the New York Red Bulls as a youth coach with their training programs. After that, I had the opportunity to become a boys director of coaching at a club in Kansas City uh, called Casey Prime, which I believe now is or merged into Casey Scott Gallagher. So I basically just uprooted my entire life, left my family, left my friends, left anyone I've ever cared about, drove halfway across the country to Kansas. Um, I was there for a while. Some family stuff brought me back to New York. I had the opportunity to be the technical director of a club in Brooklyn. And now we are here. I'm actually present day. I'm going to be starting a new coaching role in a few weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. But sometime in between that part in 2015, I started the coaching journey. It was a blog. I had just spent a month in England and Germany visiting a couple of clubs there. And I had all these ideas running around in my head and I needed a way just to express it, to get them out of my head because I was worried about, you know, basically my head just exploding. So I started the blog. The first article we wrote about 150 people read it. I was ecstatic. I was over the moon. I said, you know what, here we go. We'll start writing more articles. And then that morphed into a podcast and that morphed into a sort of niche little coaching journey business. But uh, yeah, coaching is luckily so far the career, it's the passion, it's the profession, and 
yeah, just very happy to, as you do, talk to people about their coaching journey. So it's interesting to share my own. Very cool. Uh, I love hearing uh, guest backstory in terms of, uh, you know, how they've gotten to where they are. And that um, you said something there that uh, is interesting to me that, uh, you know, you said you, you weren't a very good player and that uh, early on in your career, you felt that you may not have been a, a very good coach. And I'm curious that if you go back and, and talk to yourself, uh, you know, at that time in your career, what would you tell yourself? Ooh, okay. What time in my career? What age are we talking about? What what stage uh, of life? I, I would say, um, you know, when you were a player, uh, maybe start there and then maybe early on, uh, maybe at Fordham or maybe that, you know, first high school job or, or something like that. Sure. So I played club. Uh, I didn't play for the high school team. I didn't play for the college team. I pretty much played local club and that was it. Very low level. I would have told myself back then, start coaching now and start doing your badges now. That would have been the biggest thing because uh, luckily I'm still young. I'm still learning and that's not going to end, but it would have been nice to start slightly earlier where I, I started, I think around 21, I would have loved to have started my badges, my that, that stuff around maybe 18, 17, so on. Uh, that would have been the biggest thing at Fordham. I think the only thing I would have said is just, I think maybe just watch more coaches because when I started, I was on an Island uh, the person I started the club with actually transferred to Wake Forest. So I, I was literally on an island. Um, yeah, I think just observe more and try and start. If you're going to be a coach, start training earlier. Who in uh, your coaching careers had a, an influence or who do you admire? Um, and it could be, you know, uh, guys and gals uh, worldwide or... Uh, someone locally uh, that's had a, you know, a, a positive impact on you as a, as a coach? Yeah, I'm not going to say, so I think it's, it's kind of a boring cliche when people say Guardiola or Bielsa or whatever. So I'm just going to skip that and go with people that no one's ever heard of or some people might have heard of. When I did my coaching courses, I think I was 20 maybe 22 when I took the national diploma for what was then the NSCAA. And I remember waking up. It was, I, I've done all my, well, two of the course I did in Florida, Sunrise, Florida, which is this great residential diploma course they offer. And I, there was snow. It was the, the flights were canceled and I had no idea about the NSCAA back then. I was doing it because I wanted to learn. I, I had no idea about the organization. And I remember the only point of contact I had was just a guy named Ian Barker. And I was thinking, oh, well, Ian Barker must be running the, he must be a coach for the national diploma course. I'll just call the hotel and leave him a message. But then I found out Ian Barker was the head of the NSCAA now, or head of coaching, now United Soccer Coaches. So I remember whenever I've gotten the chance to learn from Ian, work with Ian, uh, it's always been a moment where, you know, the path of learning is you learn to the point where you think you know everything and then you find out that you know nothing. And then you start that process again. I think I know everything and then something clicks or I meet someone or I observe something and I realize, okay, I know a lot less than I thought. Paul Marco, who is the coach at Binghamton University, who's a mentor of mine, he's been hugely critical both from courses I've attended, from a personal mentor, helping with just career advice, coaching advice, and then non-coaching wise, I'd say 
this is a bit of a cliche answer as well, but I'd go with my father um, just because he's been able to kind of move through or overcome certain obstacles in the past few years that have been very transformational in my thinking towards achieving goals, keeping a positive mindset, even though some people will say that's bullshit. Are we allowed to curse or no? We are. are. You're going to get a PG-13 rating. Um, Curse away. (laughs) Without without thinking too hard, there's a lot more. But without thinking too hard, I'd say those three people. In terms of uh, mentorship, so that comes up from time to time uh, on this show, um, just how influential uh, people can be for all of us. And I, I feel incredibly fortunate that, you know, to have gotten connected to a coaching mentor who often tell people that, you know, this person gives it to me straight. Um, it doesn't tell me what I need to hear, gives me a, a good, honest, um, you know, it helps me see my blind spots, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I'm wondering what that was like for you um, in getting connected, um, you know, with uh, the person at Binghamton in terms of, uh, you know, just to continue to evolve and develop and, you know, strive to be better as a, as a coach. Sure. So, I tell this story uh, whenever I help run or run my own run a coaching course I always tell the coaches attending this story and it involves myself and and Paul and I've, I've told this to Paul while he's been there so he I think he appreciates it but my first time meeting Paul I was taking the premier diploma with what's now United Soccer Coaches it was in Sunrise Florida I think I was I don't know 23 at the time I was young I was probably the youngest kid amongst the entire coaching group, maybe, you know, one of the youngest. And I probably wasn't ready for the course, but, you know, hey, I figured I think I can do this. I want to learn. Okay. At the time in my cohort, I mean, you're talking about some top-level college coaches, Vladko Andonovsky, who's now over at Seattle Rain. He was in my cohort. Top coaches, good coaches, good people. And then there is, you know, Joey Bag of Balls, Paul Camarada from New York, a young, naive, 22, 23-year-old idiot, basically. And so I remember I was about to run my practice coaching course, and everyone's talking about the instructor saying, yeah, you know, oh, this guy is great to have. This person's great to have. You know, Paul Marco, he can be a real stickler. He can be very polarizing. Some people like him. Some people don't. He's very tough, very hard. So I'm about to run my first practice coaching event. And for anyone who's taken the course in Sunrise, it happens at the cricket ground, which is this nice cricket stadium. There's like 10 different fields they use. Over 100 coaches from the National Advance and the Premier are doing it at the same time. So I start the session. It's about switching the point of the attack in the final third. And I have the balls where I want them. I have the setup how I want it. We're starting it quickly. We're going through it. Bing, bang, boom. And within about, I don't know, three, four minutes, Paul comes in and just says, stop. And I say, okay, you know, I, I don't vocalize this in my head. I'm thinking, okay. And he goes, he goes, you're missing the point. And I'm thinking, okay, shit. Um, hmm. He goes, your balls are where you need them, fine. You've got the numbers you need, fine. You're missing the point. Start it further back. Okay, fine. So I, I start it further back. I get through the, the coaching I don't know, 10 minutes, however long it is. And for anyone who's taken one of these courses, after you do your practice coaching, you get pulled aside and the, the staff coach gives you feedback, usually next to the field. So I'll paint the picture. 
we're in this large cricket stadium. You have to walk through a tunnel to get in. It's the end of the day, so pretty much everyone's finishing up. People who are done from the other courses are sitting in the stands. And I finish my coaching. And Paul says, okay, follow me. So I figure we're going to go to the side of the field. And we walk past the side of the field. So I'm thinking, okay, where are we going now? Maybe we'll go into the seats. It's hot out. Maybe we'll sit down. We'll have a chat. And we go past the seats into the tunnel. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, we're getting close to the exit. So either he's ordered me an Uber and he's sending me back to New York or something's going to happen. So we leave the stadium and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm about to get absolutely destroyed. And he looks at me and the first thing out of his mouth was, I'm going to tell you something I don't tell many people. And I'm thinking, okay, this could go, this could go one specific way. And he basically pauses and he says, but I'm thinking about this now. This is going to sound quite, I don't know, self-praising, but I'm not trying to be. He basically looked at me and said, I don't say this to many people, but I think you're capable of coaching at a much higher level than most. But I think you did this course too early and you aren't ready for it yet. And I stopped and I thought, okay, well, you know, my first question was actually, well, do you think I'm going to fail the course? He said, no. No, you're not going to fail. But, you know, maybe you did a little too early. And from that moment, we started talking, and he was telling me, look, there are the, there's this resource, there's this person, there's this online group that I'm a part of. I think you'd love it. You'd be a good fit for it. And from that moment, we just connected where he was willing to cut through the bullshit. He was willing to cut a straight line right to what he wanted to say. He wasn't going to sugarcoat things. And to this day, if I need advice, if I have an issue, if I'm looking for maybe a new job, he's going to tell me, he's going to give me the, the real advice. Maybe not sometimes what I perceive as the best advice, but he's going to give me honest, real advice. And luckily, I mean, that that relationship has continued where, you know, whenever I'm up in Binghamton, we'll try and meet. Whenever he's down here, we'll try and meet. We talk occasionally, but he's definitely been a transformational figure in my coaching because of the way he coaches, the knowledge he has, it's shown me a new level to aspire to reach. So that's been a big thing for me. I was a bit uh, verbose, but bear with me. I love that story that uh, <laughs> the, the oh shit moment of, uh, <laughs> I, it's exactly how you described it, Paul, that um, you know, you're going for this walk and you know, kind of wondering where it's going to lead and um, had a, a similar moment um, on a, a much, uh, you know, smaller scale. Um, have been doing some uh, United Soccer or uh, U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation uh, coaching yeah. licensing and just finished up one of their licenses and um, was talking to my evaluator and uh, had called him just, I had a question about something and he told me, he goes, uh, he goes, your, your field session for your, for the first weekend, he goes, you did really well. I said, I, I was actually almost surprised. Um, cause I, I certainly didn't feel like it went very well. Um, and you know, it, it's one of those moments where, uh, kind of what you're expecting sort of the doom and gloom. Um, and then what they actually yeah. tell you is, uh, almost 180 degrees opposite. So, um, that, no, it's a, it's a fantastic story. You know what though, I, I will say, and not to get, I mean, I'm getting on my high horse, but 
not trying to do it purposefully. I've noticed a trend where every oh shit moment has led to something better or has led to me jump-starting again my learning process, my development process. I mean, I remember when I went to Kansas City, I left the Red Bulls. I was a, I don't know, brash, however you term you like to use it, New Yorker. Um, and I wasn't used to Midwest attitudes or Midwest life. And I remember there came a point a few weeks into my job where I was just told, look, it doesn't, you know, this is also a cliche that people say, but it doesn't matter what you know, it matters what people think of you, if they respect you, because if they respect you, then they're going to learn from you. And that was a big learning moment where every time in my career where I've had this pause, hold on a second, you're not doing a good job or you're making a mistake or, hey, something's going wrong. And I've had that stop moment. Then it's really helped me look, reflect and learn a lot more than I would have if someone didn't stop me. If I just kept doing the same thing over and over again, thinking it was success where it was failure. How do you um, envision the game being played? And maybe what is your, uh, you know, coaching philosophy or, um, you know, kind of what, what do you want to see happen uh, during a match? Hmm. When you ask that question to people, how many people say just the usual possession, control the ball, blah, 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 Barcelona stuff, percentage-wise? Over uh, 50%? Yeah, it's, it's probably over 50, yeah. Over 70%? Yeah, yeah, probably in that ballpark, yeah. All right, so I guess I won't give that answer. <laughs> I think, it's okay if you did. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, everyone does, right? Everyone wants to play beautiful, positional, possession-oriented soccer. Okay, that's great. If you ask me my philosophy, it's that I want to be able to utilize – my individual and collective groupings to the best possible aspect. I want to be able to maximize every player's ability in order to maximize the collective. So, you know, everyone wants to play a certain style, but I think at the same time, part of your makeup, part of your individual profile is going to decide some of your style, not necessarily all of it, but some of it. So when people say, what kind of way do you want to play? I want to play in a way that maximizes the individuals I have to improve the collective group. Um, that's without thinking too hard on it. The, the BS easy answer is I want to control the ball and press high up the field and play like Guardiola and Bielsa. But the real answer is the, the former. What, uh, when you're leading a team... Um, take me through what you're like at a training session or during a match, um, you know, from your body language to what you're saying, um, you know, what is your engagement uh, as a coach? What does that look like uh, for someone that might be listening to this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for better or for worse, I think I, this might sound weird, but I am simultaneously intense and jovial. So just in my everyday life, I mean, just as, as a normal person, I think I am a rather intense person, not in the sense of I'm a big muscular guy with roid rage, but just in the sense of when I'm doing something, I'm focused on it. 
and I really put all my eggs in that basket. I'm, I'm focused. I'm obsessive about the performance. I'm obsessive about what it is I'm doing. And jovial in the sense that I, I love to have fun. I love to laugh. I love to joke around. I, I like to make jokes. I like to be sometimes the butt of the joke. So I think coaching-wise, look, I, I ask a lot of the players I'm working with. And that can be good and bad. And I've had both those experiences within my career, within my short career. But at the end of the day, I want to be obsessive about the game so I can make my players or help bring my players to a place they haven't been before. So my intensity, my obsession at the end of the day is to try and improve the individual and the collective. And sometimes it clicks, sometimes it doesn't. Now, does that scale based on level, based on age, based on commitment? Absolutely. But we still want players to like competition. We still want players to like the strive for perfection or the desire to have a perfect pass, a perfect shot, a perfect practice, a perfect game. We're not going to get it. We're not going to have it. But if we're chasing it, then maybe we can have an excellent pass or a great game or an amazing training session. I think that's how I would describe it. When I first started, I will add, when I first started, the mistake I made, the biggest mistake I've made in coaching is that I tried to be someone I wasn't. And I think a lot of young coaches do that because it's just natural to imitate your mentors or imitate who you see or who you idolize. People want to be Guardiola. People want to be Bielsa. And so now they're going to just wear the clothes. They're going to talk that way. They're going to act that way and flail their arms around. Right. But when I first started the high school job, I was, I mean, honestly, I was awful. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm great now, but I remember I tried to be just some authoritarian disciplinarian Sir Alex Ferguson type. And it failed because, look, I believe in discipline. I believe in, you know, instilling principles in people, but I'm not Sir Alex Ferguson. And I had to find my voice and not someone else's voice. So I, I remember that. And now I try and just stick to my guns and that, hey, I'm a guy that likes to laugh. I like to have fun, but I also like to win. And I like to compete. And I like to make sure that I do everything I can in whatever I'm doing to try and achieve the goal. The, uh, the self-awareness there, Paul, is fantastic. Um, and I, I say that because it actually reminds me of how we began our conversation. You know, I, I would love to go back and, and basically shake a younger version of myself uh, being a coach because it, it's exactly what you just said. Trying to be something that I wasn't, trying to imitate and mimic and parrot, um, you know, things that I may have heard uh, from, you know, other coaches or people that I admire. But at the end of the day, this journey uh, for us as coaches, it's about figuring out who we are and what we're about. And then how do we take that and impact other people's lives and our players' lives um, and doing it, you know, individually, then collectively, um, you know, as a team. I'm wondering what success looks like or what does that mean for you uh, as a coach? I asked a similar question on my own podcast. So now it's it's a bit odd that I can ask that question to over, I don't know. <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> but I can't, I can't answer it. I think – so I'd say success – 
without thinking too hard on it, just answering relatively quickly, I think success for me would manifest itself in several different ways. One, from a personal selfish point of view, success would be continuing to coach at the highest level possible for me. Um, definitely past the level I'm at currently. So just keeping, keep climbing the coaching ladder and coaching at higher levels. That would be the selfish personal answer. From a more, from a different perspective, when I think of success from a different perspective, I think of a text message I got. I wish I could pull it up, but I, I can't. I wouldn't even know where to find it. I think of a text message I got from a former player at that high school. And this was when I had moved to Kansas City. And basically, the, the gist of the text was, hey, you know, we heard you were leaving. I just wanted to say thank you for everything you did for us. It wasn't always easy. And sometimes we didn't always like what you were doing. But now, looking back, we realize that, you know, you helped us improve a lot more than we would have. And maybe at the beginning, we we didn't like the intensity. We didn't like this or that. But you brought us somewhere we couldn't go by ourselves. And for me, that's also success on a larger level. We're not doing this, you and I, and most people, except for some club DOCs in the New York, New Jersey area. We're not doing this for a paycheck. We are doing this, one, because we love the game. Two, because we love working with people. You know, this is a job in which every day is different. Every day you're going to be dealing with people who have a different type of day every day. So it's not the same thing. You go into the job, you look at the spreadsheet, you look at the tables, you do someone's taxes, you write up a, law, a court brief. You're going into a session where someone's girlfriend of five years just dumped them. Someone's father just passed away. Someone had a shitty day at school. Someone had a great day at school. It's the interpersonal relationships, which is why I think a lot of people go into coaching because you love working with people and you love helping people grow both on the field and off the field. I think, uh, <laughs> mic drop, you nailed it. <laughs> That's, uh, you're exactly right. Um, yeah, it's that ability to positively Im influence and impact uh, people, um, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, but also uh, as a team. And that is from young to old to, to everything in between. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong. Look, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm very, I'm very upfront. I'm very frank. I'm honest. I don't like when people BS. I think it's just, uh, it just drives me crazy. And I know it, it's hurt my, it's hurting me at times because sometimes I'm a little too honest, but when people, you know, there is the selfish aspect of, Hey, I'm in coaching because I like to win and I want to coach at higher levels. And I'd love to coach professionally, or I'd love to coach for this level or that level. People who don't say that are lying nine times out of 10. Everyone wants to be able to coach at the highest level they can possible, possibly. Doesn't mean they want to go from U10s to adults, but maybe they want to coach at a professional academy for U10s, U11s. Maybe they want to coach D1, not D3, or D1 for a national champion. So whenever I hear coaches say, oh, well, I, I only do it for the kids. I mean, come on, really? We're doing it for the kids. I love working with people, and I wouldn't change my career trajectory for the world. But always selfishly, there is as well that idea of I love competing. I love battling against an opponent. I love training a group of people to compete and try and succeed. 
And that manifests itself into a different type of success. So it's not just, well, I want to help people grow. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, hey, I like winning. I like competing. I like creating a successful team environment. So there is always that selfish motivator as well. I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's more just a human characteristic. It's a human trait. You had mentioned uh, early in the, the conversation about the uh, the trip to Europe and you know coming back and, and starting a blog post or writing a blog post and um, you know uh, kind of things evolving from there into the podcast. And uh, for folks listening to this that may not be familiar with the coaching journey, um, tell the audience a little bit about you know the work that you're doing uh, with your show. Sure. That's a shameless plug. So basically, as I said before, I was coaching with the New York Red Bulls at the time. I had gone to Europe for uh, from January to February, visiting a couple of clubs. So I, I spent a week at Brentford back when they had uh, their academy. I spent several days at Bristol Rovers with Johnny Henderson, who was the former academy manager, West Bromwich Albion. Uh, spent the day in Dusseldorf with Frank Deshan, who's now with U.S. soccer, a very, very nice, smart person. And I got back and I had these ideas. And then something Alexi Lawless had said, and I don't really like just speaking his name into existence, but something he had said kind of had this idea in my head. And it, he was talking about something myopic, like how can you judge a league on quality? It's all subjective, which ultimately is, is BS. It's a lazy argument that tries to rely on uh, the idea that subjectivity is just the, the game itself is completely subjective and quality is subjective. It's not. And that made me write an article. And I said, you know, I like doing this. I have other topics in mind. I have other aspects of youth development, of coaching, of whatever in mind. I just want to write. And it, it wasn't anything like I'm going to just become a writer now. It was more, you know what, can I put my ideas on paper and can that help me hone my ideas, refine my ideas? I talk about this a lot. When you start to write or you click record and start talking into a microphone or you videotape yourself, it really speeds up your thinking, your development, because now you're putting something out in the public that can be scrutinized. So it's easy to create a training session that no one's ever going to see. It's just as easy to create a training session and click publish, but mentally now there's that idea of, hey, someone can look at this and tell me it sucks. Conversely, someone can say, oh, this looks great. Same thing with the blog, same thing with the podcast. I received a comment the other, I don't know, several weeks ago, and someone might say the same thing on this podcast, but basically saying, look, we're not coming to this podcast to listen to you. We're coming to listen to your guests. Shut up. Okay, fair, but goes back to what we were saying of being ourselves. I myself am a pretty verbose person. So, hey, you know, that's that's what you signed up for when you click subscribe on the coaching journey and hopefully five stars. But, uh, yeah, so from there, it started, I was writing and then I said, you know what? I met these great people in Europe. I've met these great people in the United States. I would love to be able to talk with them, and I think other people might find that interesting too. I'd love to be able to call up an academy manager in England or a professional coach in the United States, or a college coach, or a youth coach, whatever, and just have a conversation about the game. And I think people would like listening to that because I think everyone wants to hear that. So that started the podcast. 
Uh, it started on SoundCloud, then it moved over to iTunes and all of that stuff. And then from there, honestly, it's just, it's afforded me some cool, strange opportunities. I had the chance to talk on New Zealand Sport Radio once because, because of an article I wrote, which was interesting. I had the chance, I've had the chance and still do to present at conferences, to talk about certain topics, to work with clubs, to work with coaches on development, on session design, on coaching education, curriculum planning. So it's been something that it had very humble beginnings and it's still quite a humble operation, but strangely it's, it's been able to grow because I think some people, maybe not a lot, but some people have enjoyed the work we put out, which is always very humbling. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm very humbled whenever people say, Hey, I love the podcast or, Hey, I like the articles. I like this or that. It's, it's still a strange feeling. It's not something I think I'll ever get used to. I can, uh, 100% relate to that. Um, it, it happened to me actually at the, uh, the coaching course I was doing and some of the fellow coaches, uh, came up to me as we were finishing up and said that, uh, you know, they're like, Hey, we listen to your show. And I, I, I always like, don't know what to do in those moments. I feel so awkward. Um, and you know, I, I said, thank you. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm just a guy that talks to people and I, I'm very interested in people's experiences, um, and want to showcase that. Uh, and yeah, it's always this very humbling and enriching experience. And for me, um, you know, I, I, I told someone this recently, Paul, that, you know, I could send anybody, you could send anybody a LinkedIn, uh, you know, a connection request and say, hey, you know, I'd like to be part of your network. That feels incredibly impersonal to me, whereas this feels more authentic. This feels more real. And to have a chance to have conversations with people that, you know, people that I admire their work, um, people that, I just think are interesting people and you know it goes back to this whole whole idea of putting yourself out there it's terrifying yeah. <laughs> uh, you know anytime that I, I did this last night when i was editing a podcast that, that came out today you know you hit publish and you go oh jesus you know let, let's see how this one goes um and it you know uh but i'm at a place in my life now where even the the people that have pushed back or you know occasionally making a comment or, or something like that that uh, you know i i appreciate the good the bad and everything in between and it's nice to hear just feedback um yeah. and i yeah. don't you know necessarily lose sleep over those negative comments um you know or, or whatever uh, I, i'm curious for you with the podcast what's been the most um i don't know uh, surprising or you know, sort of maybe unintended consequence of having, you know, your show that has sort of emerged, um, you know, in, in the course of, uh, of it being available. What do you mean by that? Go, go extrapolate on that idea further. Um, so uh, for me, it, it feels, it, it's amazing, but it's still a bit strange to me that, um, you know, people that I admire, I feel like I can text them now. I can call them. I can engage with them. I um, see. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know the term for this. I don't know if there is a term for this, but I'll, I'll try and relate to this in a, in a scenario that everyone can understand. When I was a young 
male in college trying to meet a nice lady to take on a date. I could never introduce myself by myself to someone. I, I just can't. I don't know why. I have a podcast. I present at conferences. I can talk to a group of a thousand people, but I cannot for the life of me go up to a person by myself and introduce myself to them or strike up a conversation. Now, here's the difference. If you and me are together, if I'm with a group and we go meet another group, I can be the life of the party. I can be fun. I can talk. Not a problem. But I'm a very, at times, introverted person when I'm by myself. Having a blog, having a podcast has almost given me sort of this, sort of this kind of invisibility cloak where for some reason, just I don't know why it's a cheap trick, but mentally I have no issue going up to someone now and saying, Hey, this is, you know, my name is Paul Camarada. I have a podcast. I'd love to have you on. Or, Hey, can I ask you a question? So it's almost this, you know how, when you have a, a, you're walking a dog in a park, it's a pretty easy conversation starter with a stranger. Mm -hmm. Having a podcast is that conversation starter with a stranger for me on my end. I've also found that um, guests are maybe other than one or two people. And it was just because I think of their own, um, I guess I would use the word insecurities of, of coming on and how they would sound and that sort of thing. Almost everyone I've reached out to at some point has said, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I love the game of football. I love the game of soccer. I want to come on and talk about it. Yeah. And that's from the local rec coach all the way up to, you know, national championship winning, um, you know, people that I just admire what they do and how they run programs and, and things of that nature. And I think that, you know, I, I often say this on my show that the connectivity of sport, and in this case, you know, football, soccer, uh, I mean, it, it, we all have this same common bond because of that. And it's, you know, it, it's the it's totally the soccer romantic <laughs> in me talking here, but um, I just think that you know when you get people and you know, I've had guests at times that um, you start a conversation with them and they're sort of very guarded in what they say, and then by the end of the conversation they're laughing and just you know really being themselves. And yeah. uh, I often tell them, I'm like, look, this is not an interrogation. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not the I'm not the police. I'm not trying to get. Um, you know, like, where were you on this night at this time? I, I just want to talk to you about your experiences and, and that sort of thing. And I think once people realize that, they've always been very willing to engage and just be themselves. And, uh, you know, and it goes back to your point. I mean, don't don't fake it, right? Just be be who you are and be proud of that. So, yeah, you have, look, you have to be authentic and you have to realize that being authentic is going to rub some people the wrong way, mm -hmm. right? There's just... <laughs> You don't have to, not everyone has to like you and you shouldn't pander to make everyone like you. I just, it's something that I think not enough people are comfortable with the fact that some people just aren't going to like you and you're not going to like some people. It doesn't, that's not the blank check to be disrespectful or mean or, or whatever, but you have to be yourself. You have to be comfortable in your own skin and you have to be comfortable in who you are as a person. Some people... For example, when I was living in Kansas City, people over there really weren't very upfront. They weren't very frank. If they tried your apple pie and they hated your apple pie, they'd tell you, hey, that was good apple pie. But that's just who they are. They're just being 
them. If I try apple pie that sucks, I'm going to tell you, you know what, maybe let's try a cheesecake next time. Because that's who I am as a person, just honest, upfront. And I want people to be this, I, I want people to be honest with me. I love New York City because if I'm in someone's way, they're going to tell me to get the F out of their way. If I'm walking in Manhattan, that's nice because now I know where I stand with that person, quite literally in front of them. But, <laughs> but uh, it, it's so important. You have to be authentic. You have to be, you, you have to be comfortable being you. And I think luckily, I mean, the people I've met, most of them are authentic. There's some people I've met who they're one thing. I mean, social media is huge, huge for this, but they're one thing on social media. They're another in real life. And I, I don't know, it just drives me crazy. I want to be the same person you hear on the podcast as you see in person. I might be slightly more funny in person, but I still want to be me. I want to be Paul if you meet me at the field or if you listen to the Coaching Journey podcast. I feel the same way. Uh, and I always like when people say you're, you're, you know, I, I'm more good looking in person than I am when they see my picture. No, <laughs> bad, bad joke time, bad joke time. Uh, Paul, if um, so a question that I always ask to kind of uh, wrap up uh, conversations with my guests, uh, what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong uh, when it comes to, you know, football or soccer uh, in this country? That's a great question. One that I am not anywhere near smart enough to answer, but I will, I will try. What aren't we, let's start with the negatives. I think that's slightly easier to identify. Um, I think some people might instantly turn off once I say this, but it's important. I think the fact that we do soccer backwards in this country is a huge hindrance. It's a huge deterrent in pretty much every aspect of U.S. business, monopolies are frowned upon. For some reason, sports are exempt from that. There's a reason why we were busting monopolies decades ago, 50, 60 years ago, because it's bad for business, it's bad for the American citizen. From an economic point of view, it can be very bad. For some reason, those sports, we've allowed monopolies. We have the NBA dominate basketball. We have MLB dominate baseball. MLS dominate soccer. And within that, it's a closed economic system that disincentivizes the maximum amount of investment you can get. So what I mean by that is we have a system in which you have to, it's a closed league. You have to purchase your way into it. There's no sporting merit. There's no real, real coaching pressure. I mean, there's a reason why some people still have a job and they've been losing for the past five, six years where some people go through the coaching carousel where they just keep getting hired. And I think about the amount of money we throw away by having a closed economic system. If you had a soccer landscape where the club down the road from you or me could start a semi-professional team tomorrow competing in the 12th division, and you know what, if they do really well, they're going to go up to the 11th division. And if they do poorly, they're going down to the 13th. If they do really well, maybe they'll end up in the 7th. Maybe they'll never go higher than that. But you can move up and down. I think overnight, you get more investment because it's the barrier of entry. Investing in the sport is much lower now. It's much more accessible. So your local pizzeria can now sponsor a first team playing in the 13th division. When LAFC was started, 
I think they said they had something like seven different investment groups, which let's see. I mean, it was what, $150 million to, to join. So seven times 150 million. I don't know, 900 million maybe. So $900 million worth of soccer investment where you've thrown away 750 of it and have accepted only 150. I think that's a huge issue. I think some people don't think it is. They just don't care about it, which, hey, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell people what they should care about. I'm not going to force them to think about that. But if you ask me, I would say having a closed system is a huge deterrent and hindrance and inhibits our ability to maximize our development on and off the field. I think from an economic point of view, from a sociological point of view, that is the linchpin with everything. You can disagree. Some people will, but that's my opinion. What do we do well? Can all be doom and gloom. So what do we do well? I think that we do have some very motivated people, some very intelligent people wanting to change the soccer landscape for the better. And they're not doing this because it's a business. What I mean by that is I see enough people on social media who promote a message online, but then don't disclose the financial side, the money they're making, the profit incentive they have to disclose certain messages. It's easy to promote something when you're making thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars off of it. There are other people, I think, who many people might not even know about in this country who are trying to do the right thing. Now, sometimes they're stopped by red tape. Sometimes they're stopped by, say, for example, U.S. soccer, which articles are coming out now about. But you have some amazing coach educators. You have some amazing, you have some amazing directors. You have some amazing coaches, some amazing scouts who are genuinely in it for the right reasons, who are genuinely in it to help the country, to help the players, to help the coaches. That, for me, is an inspiring thing because it makes me want to get to that level too and, and, and give back. When we're talking earlier about mentors, the help Paul Marco has given me, the help you know, even just from my father, the help from other coaches, other people I've worked with, that inspires me to try and be that for someone else. So I think it's important for us to realize there's a lot of just bad actors, bad people in the sport. But hey, that's in literally every business. It's in every industry. But for every 10 bad apples, there's a thousand good ones who don't necessarily get the credit or no one really knows about. There are coaches out there who are volunteering their time just because they want their kid to keep playing soccer. That's an amazing thing. No one's ever going to talk about that coach. They're going to talk about, you know, whoever, Bruce Arena. But there's so many good, honest people out there doing a good job, doing the best they can, that I think that gives me hope, that we still have genuine coaches out there who are in this for the right reasons, and I don't see that dwindling. I see more and more people coming out, fighting for what's right, trying to do the right thing, and trying to be the best coach they can be. And as that groundswell keeps keeps kind of going and going, eventually it's going to reach a, a breaking point, and I think we are going to see some lasting change, hopefully for the better, in the United States. I think that's a, uh, a damn good answer. Um, uh, very 
just well thought out and uh, well formulated um, uh, response to that question, Paul. I, I, I loved it. If uh, if folks want to follow along with uh, what you're doing and uh, in the coaching journey, how can they connect with you? Sure. Thank you. So on Twitter, you can follow at the coach journey. So the coach journey on there. It also links to my personal Twitter account, which you don't have any interest in following. But hey, if you're interested, it's there on Facebook. You can find us at the coaching journey. If you go onto iTunes or Stitcher or pretty much any podcast app, if you search The Coaching Journey on iTunes or Stitcher, the podcast will come up. I think we're on Instagram, but, you know, I don't use that as much. Um, yeah, so, I mean, anyone interested in talking, anyone interested in what we have to say or just trying the podcast out, please feel free. Just The Coaching Journey, if you put that in Google, it'll bring you to pretty much any relevant links. Thecoachingjourney.org is the website which contains the blog, the podcast, everything just all into one. Uh, but we would love to have you listen. We would love to have you read, share your thoughts, share your feedback, criticism, anything. And as I like to say, you know, together we're going to help grow the game. So it's a collective effort and it's one in which we need others to join us. Can't thank you enough, Paul, for coming on the latest episode of the, the on the touchline podcast. And, um, you're absolutely right, man. It, it takes all of us, uh, rowing in the same direction to, to move this needle, uh, for the game that we all love, especially here in the States and, uh, wish you a, a whole lot of success with the coaching journey and, uh, uh your own, uh, new coaching journey <laughs> that will be starting here soon. <laughs> and, uh, really appreciate your time. Jason, listen, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on for anyone listening. If I was a little too uh, too wordy or too talkative, I apologize. But I, I'm always appreciative when I have the opportunity to talk, to speak, and just share my thoughts for 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 whatever they're worth. So, Jason, really, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the podcast you're putting out. Because uh, as I've told John Pronich this, and I'll tell you, I don't think people know kind of the work it takes to put out a podcast consistently. And it's something I struggle with because we, we do go through seasons where we don't have a new episode, but what you're able to do, what John's able to do, what I try to do, just putting out content episodes, interviews every week. John does it twice a week. I mean, it is so difficult, but it's something uh, that makes me very appreciative because I recognize the work you guys are doing and it's very cool. So thank you for that. Uh, feelings uh, mutual in that one, Paul. Um, because exactly, I I remember listening to your show and thinking, gosh, uh, and same with John that um, you know I you know could see myself maybe venturing into this territory someday, and then you know uh, started it uh, last December, and exactly, um, there's a, a lot involved <laughs> to to making uh, this go, and um, but it's enjoyable, and I, I wouldn't trade that, and um, you know I I, I think it's. It's just a, another, some value added, hopefully, uh, to listeners and, and people in our community, um, besides coaching courses or networking with coaches in person or, you know, mentorship or whatever. It's just sort of one more thing, you know, that they can do. So, but uh, yeah, Paul, thank you again for your time and um, would welcome back uh, anytime you'd like. Thank you, Jason.
A big shout out to Paul Camerata for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And Paul, nothing but good wishes and success in your new coaching journey as you get up and running uh, along the way. So all the best. This podcast is going to take a little bit of a break, but we'll be back for season three sometime this fall. So you can go back and listen to close to 60 episodes of this podcast from episode one all the way up to the latest episode with Paul. And they're all available uh, in the show notes of how to get to the website houses every episode from the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're on social media, reach out at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter and Instagram. I'll catch you guys sometime this fall. This has been the On the Touchline podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.